All right, we're back for episode four of Plugged In with Adam Cianciarillo. We kind of locked in that name. I like uh, it. Officially, officially. I like it. So unplugged first, but we're plugged in now. I'm here with my co-host, Shane Doyle, and the everywhere man, Daniel Blair. <laughs> everywhere, even at Adam's house. How did this happen? This was like... It just worked out. I know. I, I was... Uh, you, you hit me up, asked me if I was in town. You're obviously out here doing some, um, doing some work for, for Orange Brigade. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, yeah, people still ask me, like, are you in Florida? Are you in Florida? I mean, I've been in California for like three years now, man. I sold everything. I, feel like, I went all in. Yeah, but in this all industry, in. I feel like everybody's got both. So I just, I don't know where it, you're at this week. You well, know? It's funny because I feel like the, before, the, you kind of on a 250, most of the guys are only in California. And then you start making 450 money and you do the full season with the, obviously a lot of the races being on the East Coast. And then I feel like people always split their time. You know, I kind of grew up with the, you know, with Villapoto his last few years. They're all doing that. And I, yeah, it was just a little bit backwards for me, I guess. I did the back and forth thing my whole 250 career early and then out here now. And, now, so so. You're, and you're a Florida guy that is now a Cali guy. I am. I'm a Cali guy. Yeah, usually now, it's backwards. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a South Carolina now. Yeah, you're so South I, I made the full move the other direction. So you like it out here better? You know, I think for me, so for me, it was a play of when I lived in, when I lived in Claremont, I'm, I'm two hours, an hour and a half, two hours away from all my friends and family. And, and that's enough time where I'm not seeing them that much, you know, every once in a while on a weekend, go up there, whatever. But it got to a point where, you know, I'm single dude. Um, I had this sweet house, golf course, everything that I, everything that I could want, but I didn't really have any training partners. I didn't have a lot of friends around. So it was like, I would do my work. I was riding at, at Stewart's at the time. I would do my work. I would come home. I would sit in my sick house and look at my 85 inch plasma screen and, but be like, you know, I'm, but, but look, but I'm like, I'm, I'm, see nobody. I'm 25 years old. You know, I feel like I need to be, um, I don't know, just doing more and socializing, interacting more. So kind of, I have a lot of friends out here and it was just kind of, it worked with the team as well. And, but yeah, so Cali guy, Cali guy. let's get into you though, man. What have you been up to? Nothing. <laughs> Come on now. Uh, no, I see your Instagram stories. You've been doing stuff every single day. Oh, I, this- I, I, that's all the only way I live. I, I, I and I've learned that you, you'll know this because you're, as you grow up and get older, you learn more about yourself. You learn what makes you tick. And I've learned that for me, if I'm not going 100 miles an hour, I'm actually like depressed. I, if it slows down at all, like I'll take a day. I'm taking today off. By one o'clock, I'm like, I, there's, I'm just empty. And so I, I got to move, got to move, got to move all the time. It's, That's just to make me happy, just to like be normal, not even happy. That's just normal. I think that there's a quote. Somebody says that um, all of all human problems come from the inability to sit alone in a room with yourself. I can't do it. It's hard. It's really hard, especially um, guys like us, I think, just natural, high achievers, goal-oriented. Chasers. Chasers. Yep. It's, you know, you ask anybody, ask somebody like Philip, um, anybody that's ultra-successful, they reach the top of the mountain, and they get there, and it's just the next thing. It's just the next thing, because it, it always... It never stops. We, so we've talked about that, Shane. Yeah. About how, yeah. in fact, it's worse because every bit of success you have, it fuels the want for the next one even worse. So it's, it's almost like yeah, you get there and you think I made it. Now I can chill. It's like no, you made it, and now this is not enough. 
Yeah. And now you feel for, like you need more. For I think me, it's just the competitive aspect between you guys, like racers. For me, it's like now, as I've gotten older, before I'm like, man, I win a supercross race. I'm going to be the happiest dude alive for the rest of my life. Like I used to think when I was like 14, 15 years old that I was just going to race until I was 30 and then do nothing. <laughs> yeah, just and now and now I'm like, you know, as that gets closer, I'm like, man, I, you know, I'm going to have to find another passion and, and do something else. But um, it's definitely not you got to keep it in perspective. But I found that even keeping it in perspective for me, like my goals knowing that it's not going to completely fulfill me and bring me happiness. I still love the feeling of, of winning or reaching that goal, you know? And I think as you get older, you figure out that the chase is the most important thing. It's, and to me, it's the most fulfilling. And I've learned that too, because I've, I've found levels of success in the last few years of my life. And I've gotten to the point where I'm like, yes. And then I actually look back and I enjoyed the chasing it part more than I actually enjoyed even getting it. Like I loved, cause I mean, I'm a dreamer. I don't know if you're the same. Yeah. I'm a dreamer. I have big dreams. I dream way bigger than I should. It's, it's, I dream huge and chasing that dream and thinking about what it could be if you get it. That's my gas. That's the fuel all the time. And then you get it and you're like sick. Okay. So what's the next one? Because I actually enjoyed the process of chasing it more than I actually do getting it. I mean, I, I don't know. That's just, and I don't know if it's the racer side of me. I don't know if it's, for me, maybe being really grown up early. When I was 18, I mean, it was like mom and dad were like, all right, you're a man, good luck. And it was like on, and it was very difficult. So for me, I think I'm just wired that way alone where I've only chased my whole life, just mostly in the beginning out of necessity to survive. But then once you get past survival, now you're trying to chase down things. You know, I, I, want, I want a nicer house for my family. I want to be able to right. buy my kid another but. Now I have to chase because I want things for other people. And, and it's funny because my wife and I got in this conversation the other day. I don't do anything for me. I don't buy anything for me. I don't. I, my thrill comes from chasing goals. And then the reward to me is I want to give it to the people around me. And I just, I don't know if that's grown up poor. I don't know what it, I don't know why I'm this way, but well, it, it's working, I think, for now. One, one thing I've noticed with you, and, and kind of we'll get into this more, um, but just... I guess you're kind of your character arc. Like you've done a lot of really cool stuff in, in dirt bikes and racing and you had a band. Like, you know, you, you to me, you'd, you don't have, you can tell when somebody limits themselves to something. And I think we see a lot of that in this industry. It's like, we have to be in this box, be this guy. There's a, there's, there's a really um, way that you're expected to be as a rider. And if you get out of that, you're going to get some, you're going to get some heat, some backlash, you know? So I think, you know, what I've noticed with you is just, you don't limit yourself, you know? And I think that like, I can feel that when I'm around you and it's, it's, it's cool that kind of everything you've set your mind to really you've done. So I owned a cab company. I forgot about that. I forgot about that. I started and owned and sold a cab company. That's unreal. <laughs> Dude, hold on, hold on, hold on. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not tell kidding. Us, tell us a little more because I want to hear the story again about how you how uh, this d- happened. Okay, do you guys remember Hobo Nick? Remember Hobo Nick? Oh, yeah. Okay. yeah. Hobo, Hobo yeah. Nick, like, dude, like, one of, my forever friend. He's a guy, I could I cannot talk to him for 20 years, and the minute I see him, I just want to hug him so bad. I love Hobo Nick so much. And uh, in 2013, I was racing arena cross, kind of doing that, like, end of career survival thing. Like, I don't know where I need to go where I can make just enough money to keep doing this thing because I don't know what to do. Right. And during that season, I was kind of coming to the grips of like, you know, I, I need to be done. Like, this ain't going anywhere. 
And just me and him creatively kind of came up with this idea. And it started out as a joke. We wanted to have a company called NASCAB. We were going to have cabs that were all painted like NASCARs. And we were just having a good time joking. We were like, we're going to wear the out. We're going to wear helmets. And we're going to drive around people and pick up people in NASCABs. That was where it started. Very quickly, we learned that that was probably a stupid idea. And it might have sounded funnier than it was going to become. So then we ended up changing it. Nick's idea, because he's such a giving person. He's a, he's a charitable human. He's like, I've had this idea about, like, what if we had a cab company and, like, a certain percentage of the fares go to, like, some charities that I care about, whatever. Boom, we came up with Charity Cab. That was our name. And we started a business, me, Nick, and another friend, Rhett. What, what year is this? This is 2013 Arena Cross ends, and I'm done. And I bought a Prius, or no, Camry first. I think, no, we had Camrys first. I bought a Camry. Nick bought a Camry. Our buddy Rhett had like a little mini SUV thing. And yeah, this was the summer of 2020 or 2013. And um, we just did it. We just started it and we started a dollar of every fare would go to charity and we would change the charity. We eventually moved it to local charities in the area, like animal shelters. This was Sacramento, right? Like that. No, area. Bay Area. We, Bay so area. yeah, we, we, and th- this is pre Uber, just so you know, Uber plays a role in this. Um, this is pre-Uber in the area. We're like in the outskirts of the Bay Area. Like they call it East Bay, Pleasanton, uh, Livermore, that area. <clears throat> and um, it was just like an idea. And I was, I was ambitious. I wanted to start a business. And he had the model figured out. He, he knew the business because he had driven a cab before just in different chapters of his life. Because he's, talk about someone. You want to talk to somebody? Talk to Hobo Nick. Did that dude's life. Wow. Really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And then, um, so we did, we did it. We, we got all of our licenses. We got our permits. We went through the whole process, started a business. And us three lived in the you cars. guys driving we drove and we lived we had our own cars i had a camry nick had a camry were Red you married a- at this point yeah what did, what did maggie Bro, think about this look maggie that poor woman man she has been through a lot of dumb things that i've done and they you know it's worked out she's got she's very happy with her life now i finally gave her the life she wanted but it took a while um but she yeah i had my son he was three my wife was pregnant, um, about to have, we started in like June and my wife was due in August. So I had my second, my daughter was coming. Um, and we, but we were going to go for it and I was ambitious and she, she's never killed my ambition ever, ever as crazy as dumb of the idea. I mean, dude, I, I had a class A truck license. I drove big rigs for a while and like the Folsom dam, like I helped rebuild the Folsom dam. Did that for a while. Worked for a construction company. Um, built, you ever see that Chevron out on 395 out in Victorville, like out where Sunrise used to be. Did you ever go up that way? Comp yeah. Edge? That big, giant Chevron. So I was, I, I was the uh, like the manager of that whole project. It was a $1.2 million Chevron gas station. I knew nothing, oh, I knew yeah. nothing about I, that at all. But the owner of the company overbid. Okay, he, he bid and got too many jobs. And he's like, I'm going to hire you. You're going to manage this. You're going to manage it through the phone and email with me. And we're going to pull this off just somehow. So you weren't even really on I never, site. I, no, I lived there. I, I would fly oh. all week. I'd be in Victorville. I'd fly home on the weekend. So what I'm getting at is my wife has put up with some stupid stuff along the way. Um, but the cab thing was like, we had a vision and it was a good vision. Um, the hard part is, is we were living in the cars. I would sleep in the car because you, you got to be 24 hour to build your credibility in the area and let people know you're reliable. So uh, I would sleep in the back of the Camry in like an apartment complex's parking lot. And then sometimes security would wake me up. I'd have to go move. And you're just waiting for a call at 2 a.m. from someone drunk to go get them because you need to build your reputation as reliable. And I did that all the way through. And then my daughter was born. And that just, I mean. And shit gets real. It just, and I already had my son, but he's three. You know, it's, it's working. But 
I, I could not not be with my daughter and the job required 24 seven being available. And there was only three of us and we were blowing up. Like we, I had to, were you making good money doing it at this point? It was starting to roll. It was like, we had gotten through the dirty part, the growth part, you know, you, you lose money at first, but within two months we were already getting a reputation. Like these guys are awesome. We had punch cards, you know, nine rides and your 10th is free. We did all those types of things and it was working. Um, but my daughter was born and I don't know if it's the difference between my, a boy and a girl, my son to me, he's like, you know, I've always looked at him like, you're a little dude, you better be tough and deal. Right. My daughter, dude, it was like, that's my baby. I, I couldn't even stand to be away from her for three days. I'd go for three days. I'll be back on Thursday, babe. And I just go live in the car for three days. And I, I couldn't do it. That's I, pretty gnarly, I, I, man. Dude, it was gnarly, but it was part of this like ambitious <clears throat> thing I've gone through probably for about a 10 year period where I just, I guess if you're, like I said, I got to be chased I, some, I, I, well, I grew up poor. My adult life was very tough all the way through. And I'm like, I got a, a wife who's like so loyal and cool and like these kids. And I'm like, I have to do something for them. And that's going to require me to maybe be gone a lot, which I still to this day have been, but that's how I'm going to be able to generate the income that gives them the life that I want to give them. So it, it's tough because I'm away from them, but at the same time, like I'm doing good for them, but I couldn't handle that. It's always, I imagine it's difficult to balance that. I mean, you're always kind of walking a line, right? You want to have that pride and feel like you're taking care of them, but you also, you know, you only live one time. My, and my opportunities came with me being away. I, I, every opportunity I've ever gotten has been, you have to be away from home. And it's like, man, like I, I would love the day to come where I'm like, I can have a great job, successful situation. And I don't have to leave my home and be with my family. Like I want that bad, but I know that that's just not. I'm looking. Cards, I'm know? looking for a personal assistant, just online stuff, booking flights. <laughs> how much? Stuff? How much you pay? Shoot, probably not enough. I want whatever Shane gets, but double. <laughs> uh, but anyway, it. so that was a so, cab company, and yes. then and then I ended up saying, guys, I, I I can't hang, and they bought me out. So, so. it was just still the three cars. Mm-hmm. So they and bought that your. Was your they only bought. Job, yeah. What's right? that? That was your only job. At, at that time, time. Yeah. at that they, time, I dropped everything for that. And they bought your Camry. Bought my Camry, bought me out of the business, and then eventually Nick sold to Rhett. Rhett ended up running it for a few more years. He ended up selling it, but the problem was is Uber. All of a sudden, Uber. these these Ubers from the Bay, like the Bay Bay, we're talking Oakland, San Francisco, all of a sudden, they're starting to pop up out in the East Bay, and I'm like, uh-oh, and you know what? I mean, look what happened. I mean, you, you, the personalized cab companies are, have had to modify the way they do business now because Uber just wiped them. Um, but Charity Cab hung, uh, it hung in there because it had such a great purpose and we were integrated in the community. So it survived and Rhett survived for a while. But eventually, I mean, Uber is just you punch on your phone and the it's so easy. You know, it's so easy. So. I would never get in a cab. No, <laughs> I mean, I'm like, where is Rhett at now? Like, is he's. So NorCal hangs, rides, dude, like moved to Costa Rica for a while, moved back, like just one of the coolest dudes ever. But um, I've no, been to Costa Rica. You have, huh? <laughs> Let's get into that. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> All so right. Anyway. So, so how did that, I don't really know. I feel like you kind of just popped up on the scene and, and dirt bikes. Obviously I'd seen your name around. I remember you riding the all black Geico Honda. That was sick. Dude. So oh, sick. Man. That was a sick bike. But day. then all oh, of a sudden. They did some good one-offs, man. Oh, my God. Then all of a sudden, you're, you know, you're trackside reporting. So kind of explain to us that, that, that origin. Okay. Um, and are you, did you have like a passion zero. for? Zero. I'm going to tell you straight up. Okay. The day I got the phone call. So Which makes it now, more impressive. Well, and it makes it, it makes it seem I, I'm I'm very privately very spiritual and publicly very 
I let I'm, I everyone same. be there same. But privately, I am very, very spiritual, and I, I believe a lot of things lined up in my life in a very weird order to lead me to here. Like it, the, the story and how I got to today. I don't see how it could just happen that way. I mean, and, and here's the example. I, you know, the cab company doesn't work out. I'm done racing, right? Well, all of a sudden, something popped up, and it's like, I'm back racing arena cross again. And there I am, I'm back. KTM had this contingency that was awesome. And, you know, Stank Dog was like, I'll drive everything. You can fly in. I got to deal with GoPro, where they're like, we'll pay you to go to the races. We'll pay all your expenses and pay you just to turn GoPros on on people's heads. Oh, yeah. Like, a bunch of things, like, lined up to where I was like, I have to go back. Not to be a racer, but there was just a lot included that, could come of this um so i ended up back in racing doing arena cross but and this at the is same 2014 time, 14 yeah this is 2014 but one thing i did and i always did this and this was out of necessity going back to when i first started racing supercross i always made myself available for press days because i got to ride the track and i would say hey i'll do all the interviews all whatever so i'd be at supercross at four in the morning doing yeah. an interview with fox and cbs and these local reporters just so i could get on the track get it dialed in and i could do better than it so i've done that my whole life well in 2014 me just being kind of i'd call it like a low-key pit lizard and i just run through the pits and talk to everybody all the time that's just you know kind of how i've always done it i'm social you end up making friends with the TV people at Arena Cross. Yep. I loved Robbie Floyd and Grant Langston. I thought they were so cool that they were there, like Grant's there. They were doing some rounds live that year. I remember that. It was so rad. And I was racing in it. And um, what happened was is Grant ended up getting an offer to go to the outdoors. And part of that responsibility back then in those times is you ain't doing both, man. Like the Feld side and the MX Sports. Right. I mean, that was those days, right? So you go there, you're done here. Well, he took it, and with that came an open seat, and me being, you know, always doing track interviews. Like, they'd be like, hey, can you do a track report? And I'd be in my gear, and like, hey, guys, welcome to Wooster. Like, this is the corner. I, I did that back when I was racing that night. I would do that. So, all of a sudden, there's an opening, and Glenn Selig from Digital Realm, who I still work with to this day, I do Arena Cross with him, he called me, hey, would you be interested in auditioning to be the TV analyst for Arena Cross? And I swear to you, before that call, I had never even thought that was even a 1%. I never even, and I don't know why, but I never looked at that as like, I could do that. I just, just blinded, I guess, by the situation I was in, which I was still racing and figuring things out. I get that call and I'm like, oh my God, that would be insane. Like, oh, I could be on TV. I could be on, t I couldn't believe it. So the problem was, is at that time, I am down in Victorville building this gas station because that job came about. My dad worked for the company, I got the job. They needed somebody. Boom, I'm there. At the exact same time, my band was making a little mini comeback because we had some connections with the Rockstar Taste of Chaos tour. Renaissance, and, man. Bro, I, some construction guy by day, fake-ass rock star by night, trying to be a rocker, going to go on tour. We were set up to maybe do that tour and go with like Avenged Sevenfold, and then this is like happening, happening. So I'm like all back in on that. And I'm driving to Vegas and rehearsing with uh, Mike Mason was new to the band. Yep. He was coming on board. My brother is, he's the, he is the, he's the core of our band. He's everything. My, without my brother, there's nothing. Have he's, I played PlayStation with your brother? Oh, hell yeah. Oh, he yeah. He loves you too. He, really? He, he says you and AP, he loves playing with you guys. Yeah. I, I remember playing with him, the OG uh, Warzone, and he was like unbelievable. Yeah, Good. he got banned from that game like five or six times. So if you're wondering how he was unbelievable, figure that out. Aimbot. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and he would deny it. And you know how he got caught? 
my son, my little, like, at the time, nine-year-old son was like, I went on Uncle Vincent's computer, and I, he's got all the cheat codes. That's how I found, yeah, that's how I found no out. No way. And, called, oh and I called God. him out on my own podcast, like, live. My brother denied it, denied it, denied it. And my son's like, well, Vincent, I saw that. <laughs> like, lying to my kid. And, yes, my brother's been kicked off of all those games. No way. Yeah. yeah. That's so, hilarious. Sorry to, like, he's not that good. He just cheats. Respect. Um, but anyway, so uh, my, my brother, though, is he's the mastermind of all of our music. He's a, he's a I, I'll say straight up, a, a phenom musician. Um, and the band was firing off. Like, we were getting back at it. We were, uh, we were rehearsing. We had a bunch of big shows coming up. We played um, the pre-party at Monster Cup, I guess it would have been. Open for Strung Out and Big B. And no like, way. So, we did, so, we're, so this is going on right then when I get this call to audition. And um, the dates worked out to where I called my boss and said, hey, can I bolt out for two days and do this. And my boss for the construction company is like, absolutely. So I ended up leaving work. We had a concert in Corona. We played in Corona at um, someplace right off the, like right there by the test tracks. Some cool little club. Not Chain Reaction. No, it was, I forget what it was called. We played that night. Um, I got in my construction truck, drove to John Wayne, slept in the truck, hopped on a flight, flew to Chicago and did the audition. While I'm working and the band's kind of like getting ready for a relaunch, you know? So the audition for... Arena Cross. The Arena Cross. Analyst spot. Analyst guy. Next to Robbie Floyd. Okay. So, um, was that when Feld was still in Chicago? Or was it just the... Yeah, they had to be. Still there? This is... I don't know if they'd moved. Maybe some had moved, but maybe not. Cause I is, think that, is that where you went? I think that was like, like 2017. Oh, I went to Chicago. I went to Glenn's studio in Chicago. Okay, okay. And um, so I go there and um, I'm just like... I don't, I don't have expectations because I don't even know what the scoop is. And the worst thing ever is I found out right before who else was auditioning. And I'm like, no. why even fly me here? Like, Ivan Tedesco, <laughs> Jake Weimer, Will Hahn, Jason Thomas, and a couple more that I oh don't know. Oh, my goodness. All flew into audition. And I'm like, why are you wasting my time? These are champions of our sport. It's the analyst position, which is like the champion position, like the racer position. Right. And I'm like, well... This will be cool to tell people I tried out, but I'm not getting this. And I, again, I had no experience. So I just went in there just raw. And so uh, almost you did you, was it, was it nerve wracking or did you, because all those guys were there and you felt like you kind of had no shot. Did you, do you think that made the audition better? Because th them being there played a little role in my mind, but I, and I'll be fully honest with you. I have never gotten nervous doing TV. Not one time. I just, I don't know why I, I mean, I, to, to be fair, I do have experience performing. I was the lead right. singer in my band, so I know what it's like to be the lead front man and, and command a crowd. Um, growing up in high school, I did competitive speech and debate, so I was doing like speech no way. like tournaments. and So I've always been able to perform on a microphone, yet never thought TV was a future. So starting on that very audition, I, I just never, I've never been nervous doing that stuff. It's, I, I'm more like, like antsy, like I, like I can't wait to... Press tell record. people what yeah, you like, see. Press record. Let's go. Let's go. And then boom. I, I love it. It's very passionate for me. So, but them being there, the other names being there was like, I almost felt defeated right off the bat, which maybe it helped me because maybe it was one of those things where I was like, DGAF, like I, I ain't getting this anyway. Right. So why try to be anything other than just like, let it rip. Some of my best races. When you don't care, right? Are that way. When you're just, when you let it all go. Yeah. I, and you hate that, right? Because you can't count on that to be the way you live all the time. But gosh, it's like when you don't care, you do good sometimes. Well, it's, I it's hate that. I think sometimes in, in what I'm able to do now a lot more often, of course, I'm every day is a work in progress. Um, but if you're able to tap into that, mm -hmm. 
when you want. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like it, it, yeah, you can't have too much perspective all the time. You know what? You can't, you can't not care about something because you can't, you know, you wouldn't, I wouldn't be able to get out of bed and do my bike rides and do, you know, do everything. But sometimes at the races that, that serves me well by being like, you know what? You're no matter what happens today, you're going to be fine tomorrow because as dramatic as that sounds, you know, it means a lot to us. Of course. I think the programming, though, as a racer is everything matters all the time so much. All that, that I think yes. we're programmed so weird as a racer. You know that. I mean, when you grow up your entire life and it's always about winning, 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 like I think you're programmed to have pressure. And if you can ever flip a switch and shut it off, it's you can be so much better. And it's but how do you do how do you convince yourself to not care that day for the positive? You know, what I mean, it's it's if you can find it and corral that and you got some magic. But good luck. That's just. I really have found genuinely. I really have found that <laughs> this year. I really have. Like, if you see me at the rate before, it was difficult for me to even, you know, like say I'm I'm meeting somebody at a ra- at a race, like mm-hmm. in between practices or something, or an autograph signing. It was really difficult for me to even interact with people for for the first few years of my career because I was so switched on and mm-hmm. so, I guess just performance anxiety, like just fight or flight mode all day long. And it was, so it's difficult to kind of flow and and even flow through the week. Yeah. It's, it's again, I think that's uh, the racer mentality program life from a kid. I mean, I dude, my, my kid right now he's racing and I'm seeing some little traits in his personality. I'm like, God, that's flashbacks. And I don't even know where it's just coming out naturally. Cause I think it's the competitive nature with also doing a very dangerous thing. Do you, do you see, some of your um like we were just talking about you you know always chasing goal oriented do you see that in your son no i'm i'm well i don't know yet i don't know he's growing he's 13 now so he's starting to change a little bit but i just had to talk to my wife the other day about it and my son is pretty much a carbon copy of my wife in every way okay. like the more i figure him out i'm realizing oh you're just like your mom yeah. so i'll just that's me okay I'm like and, mine and my daughter is me a hundred percent like hundred percent. That's funny because my sister's my dad. Oh, it's, and I mean, my, my daughter will say something and I just smile. I'm like, that's exactly what I would have said right there. Is that then, good or bad for Evan though? It might be good if he wants to be a racer. Cause I had some serious pussy issues as a racer that he don't have. He's, he's a little, no way. he's a little brave. He's actually very afraid of everything, but then in fight or flight, he's pretty gnarly. And me, I was the opposite afraid of nothing. Fight or flight caved. So he's like a reverse right. of me. Um, but he's a kid and he's also like just getting in. I don't know. I don't know yet with him, but yeah, but I am learning, but I'm not talking moto. I'm talking life. These, these kids are complete. Like my, whenever I'm having an issue with my son, I just think, okay, how would I handle this with my wife? And then I do that and it works every time he, they're, they're, they're twins. Um, but anyways, that, so back to, uh, the tryout. No, I, I wasn't nervous, but I was a little defeated just because I was like, is this like a, like, are you bring me here for charity to try out? Like you have Ivan Tedesco, you have Jake. These are super Wilhan, super cross champions right. to go in arena cross. That I didn't realize that Yeah, those guys even wanted to do that. I, they all went, they all flew in, they all auditioned and it was crazy. So anyways, I do the audition. It went really, really well. Um, Robbie Floyd is really good. He is a, he is a just absolute professional, so much experience. And when, when I say good to the key to broadcasting, cause I know your ambitions there. The key to broadcasting is the chemistry with the person you're next to. You have to almost become one because the fans see that and they feel comfortable in the relationship and then they can focus on the content because they know you guys are one. And Robbie Floyd is like, 
he can be one with anybody. He's just a, he's just, just turns good. it on. Just no, he, he, I think he could look at me and go, Oh, you're like that. And then he would just work with me like the way I needed to be worked with. And so he was great. Um, I fly back home, you know, I don't hear anything, anything for a while, a couple of weeks go by and then they call me and I'm like, Oh boy, here we go. And they go, yeah, we had a little issue with the file. Like something happened. It was corrupt or whatever. So the people reviewing this to make the decision, we don't have your file. You have to come back and do another one. You're kidding. Yeah. And I'm like, Damn it, because I did good, but if they're calling me back for a second one, they're going to fly me in. Hey, we might be in. That, that means everyone in the room yeah, they liked it. Yeah, saw something. They liked they saw it. saw something. But they need to, to send it out to the people that need to make the call. So it was kind of like a, oh, oh hey. Uh, uh, maybe I, might, I can I, do I this. I might have a little traction here. And I mean, okay. So that time I prepared way more because I knew what to expect. And then I went on the second edition and I thought I was way worse. Like I was... I think trying a little too hard in yeah. areas. I, I, I was thinking. I started thinking. Because the first one, I didn't think. I just Yeah, because now you feel you have a shot. What did, uh, what did yeah. they have you do? Like, were you just watching a race and just commentating over it? We went downstairs. Um, they got the green screen. We did the stand-up. You know, hey, everybody, I'm Robbie Floyd here and Daniel. Uh, Tyler Bowers, blah, 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 blah. Because that was the guy back then, right? Bowers and yep. Ames and these guys. Blah, blah, blah. And then I did my little thing and, you know, on camera. Then we went back upstairs. We get in a room. There's a TV screen in the room. I mean, we still do it this way. Me and Justin Brayton, we do arena cross. We sit in a room. We have a screen. And we have a script because we know what's edited. And we just, okay, this segment opening is 45 seconds. You're going to see this. You're going to see that. Get us to the gate drop. And that's kind of how we do it now. But that's how we did it then. So Robbie does his thing. Yeah, welcome to Des Moines or wherever, blah, blah, blah. Daniel, what do you think? And I just let it rip. Uh, the second one was worse for, for sure. But I think where I may have earned some respect, and I don't know if they did this on purpose or an accident, the race we watched back this time was a race where I happened to win the LCQ, and they made me do that call. So they had no to way. call my own race where I won the LCQ. Were you hard on yourself? Oh, God, dude. So <laughs> I tore into myself so bad and revealed. I, I, like, you know how like the commentators are supposed to know everything about the riders? I know a lot about that guy on screen. I know everything about him, all the bad stuff. And I trashed myself so bad. I would love to see it back now. I think they have the file. But I was like, this guy, I don't know how he is leading. I just saw him eating M&Ms right before the LC. I, I, just, I went off like out of character and just trashed myself. And they were laughing the whole time. But that may have been part of why they, I earned some of their trust. They realized that there's some range here. He has a sense of humor. Instead of covering himself on screen. He, I didn't like get all weird. I actually just got like sillier about it. So I think they were like, you know what? This guy really doesn't crack under weird situations. Yeah, but I think too, you're, you're really self-aware obviously. And, and having kind of that spiritual side of you, you're, you're like, or I guess I would be, I'm like you cause you're, you're older than me, but there's so much there. Like even in, in commentating and in the details, you know, when you're, when you're in touch with your, with, with yourself like that, I feel yeah. like it gives you such an advantage in terms of articulating the information. It, well, and for me, the spiritual side has always fallen back on. I, I have a strong belief. Um, and when you have a strong belief, that belief can be used in many different ways. And I've always believed in myself it, since this has started. As a racer, I never did. But in TV, I always did because it was e it, not easy, but comfortable. It's always been a comfortable and, thing. And that, that makes you believe in yourself because you're like, if I'm this comfortable, then how good can I get? Because there's not really many hurdles in the way. And so. it, it may be racing for you, and I always I always say this in terms of like what's success and failure, and um, some of the things that racing has done for me has taught me. It, you know, it could have taken a lifetime. Yeah, like 
Yeah. If it taught you, if the only thing racing did for you was teach you to believe in yourself, mm -hmm. how was that? How was that failure? And, and it's funny you say that too, because when I talk to people, they're like, man, I can't believe, you know, how, how far you've gone in commentating being a racer, you know, cause obviously my, in commentating, I've pivoted out of being an analyst and learned how to be a broadcaster. Yes. Like I'm a, I'm a commentator Which is a big, which a is a big world. change. Different it's almost world. like a completely different. The responsibilities are 100% the opposite of the other guy, which is natural to me. I'm a racer. I watched, I'm watching right now on screen in your house and I'm like, okay, I watched that as a racer. But as a broadcaster, you have to learn how to communicate, not as a racer. So, um, but I've always felt like now that I know this looking back, I wasn't a racer that turned broadcaster. I was a broadcaster who just raced first. That's, I just did that first. But that was my college. That was my education that allowed me to do this job. Because if I didn't know how to call dirt bike racing, I would have never been able to go anywhere. So for me, I look at racing as the thing that got me to my actual destination, not that commentating is my post-destination life so but anyways um that audition yeah the second one not as good I went home not as you know I didn't think much of it they did tell me on that trip what the pay was what would you lot. think <laughs> 250 bucks a show wait uh, for the arena cross ones? Oh yeah you're kidding me the first wow. year 250 bucks a show fly to Chicago red eye overnight flight land there do a show fly back home every week 12 rounds 250 bucks that was the first That's year. That's incredible. Wow. But I had a lot but, of other jobs at the time. So. Yeah, and you, you've always, you've always <laughs> I, been I wasn't relying on that. that. To me, I, I, did, I was like, you keep your money. I don't well, care. Yeah, like, I'm it, on TV. Like, yeah. I don't even care. You're building your resume. Yeah, and, and I, I wasn't even thinking that far ahead yet. I wasn't thinking about a resume. I was like... Holy crap! I'm on television, and they're actually going to give me some money, and they paid my flight. So and you still weren't you still weren't thinking no future in this at all. No, I know that sounds crazy, but I never really thought future, um, we can get to that, but until, I, I guess, when they made the switch from Fox to NBC, 2018 or 19, whatever year that was, yeah. when I met my TV coach for the first time, and he literally, my TV coach coaches Tony Romo. Okay, so he's like- I've worked with him. Coach Tony. He's yeah. great I, guy. I love that man. He is a, he's a great, great person, especially for my life. Um, but Coach Tony literally in the very first meeting was like, you can do this. And when I say you can do this, I'm saying you can do this. And he actually told me in that very first meeting, pivot, get out of the analyst lane. You need to learn how to be the other guy because you can do this. And, uh, and that's the first time I ever thought I could do a career of this. And he was the one. When, who somebody, when somebody like that with those credentials is, is telling you. When Tony Romo's coach says, hey, you need to move into the play-by-play -play position because there's a chance that you could go anywhere. You want to go to football? What, sport, what other sports do you like? You can go anywhere. To hear that from him on the first meeting – that's when I went, I think I could do a career. And here. these guys don't blow smoke. No, he didn't have to do that. And, and then what he's done since then with me proves that he, I mean, he's done a lot for me for free. Like, let's be honest, he's, he's paid by them, whatever. But he's always that guy like, hey, if you guys need anything, you call me. I take advantage of that. And he likes that because I'm ambitious. So he is like, he has been the most influential person on any of my growth at all. He's the guy's a mad genius in my opinion um but anyways I, I i get the arena cross deal i get the call daniel you're gonna do it blah 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 and i said well we do have one issue i'm already racing next year too i have a deal with stank dog we have motorsport.com as a title sponsor i like i'm racing and they're like oh well, obviously that doesn't work you can't call yourself on screen because we come across as live even though it's all post-edited recorded and so we worked a deal they said okay you can race but you have to ride just the lights class 
and then you can do TV in the other class and that's fine. You'll, you'll be there every weekend. I'll go to the races. I'll race. I'll do the GoPro. Th- I'll do all my stuff. But then on Mondays, I'll fly to Chicago and I'll do TV for the big class that I was there watching, but I didn't race in. So it ended up working out like perfectly. And that's why for me, the, the money wasn't a big deal because this was just a chance to do something cool and be on television. Everything else was already and, being taken care of kind of. And by being ambitious and having a bunch of different side hustles, it, it kind of, and, and that's something for myself post-racing where, you know, is why I have some rental properties and things like that, passive income to give myself the freedom to find a passion or, you, you know, something you're good at. That's why. And it, it, it did not require me to lose any of the foundational things that I had that made me survive life. It didn't affect that. So I was like, yeah, I'll fly. I mean, I'll pay you guys 250 bucks if you want. Like, I'm cool with right. that, but I'll, I just want to go. Like, I want to do it. Um, so I did, but that first year of arena cross, again, I flew in every weekend. I raced, had watched the main class happen, which sucked because I'm watching the main. And then on Monday I got to call it and pretend I didn't know what happened. Like, Oh my God. When it's like, I know every move that happened that night. Um, I mean, there was even some nights I, I think of uh, Tacoma dome was the one that stands out for some reason, Christy Lee, who was doing the TV. Oh no, no, no. It was Diana Dahlgren. Diana it was, was Diana yeah, Dahlgren was that sorry. year. So for some reason she couldn't go to one and we had to do podium interviews and I'm there. So they're like, all right, you're going to do the podium interviews. And I'm like, I'm in my gear. I'm racing. I'm dripping with sweat, whatever. And they're like, bring your suit. So I was doing races where I'd get done with my 250 heat race, win the heat race, park my bike, go and put my suit jacket on, go to the podium and then interview Zach Ames or Kyle Regal or Jacob Hayes on the podium. Hey man, good heat race. How you feeling out there? No way. And literally below, I'm in my gear and my boots. And then I'd put the mic down and go race my main event. Then fly home. Work how are you day. racing? Like, how, how was racing going? Lights Arena Cross Champion. Dog. That was That's the year, the year I put won the title. On that. Yeah, put some respect. So that goes back to the same the same mindset that you had when you first got the call to do the audition with all those guys there. Mm-hmm. When you're doing TV and you feel like you probably let yourself off the hook mentally. Yeah, or it was because I was racing a bunch of kids that were trying to get their license. <laughs> did, you, hey, did, you, did you ever race that? Either one. Did you ever do arena cross? No. No, I, no, I, you uh, lucked out. I was you early. You were grandfathered into that, huh? Yeah, I was yeah. early. I got taken got out lucky. by AP lucky. took me out. Um, RJ Hampshire almost took me out about eight times, I think on accident. Um, but no, they all came through and did their road to Supercross, but they would ride both classes. So I was dealing with all the, I mean, AP was number 57, on a Yamaha with like MSR gear maybe or something. Is that right? Uh, MSR answer. One of those. One of them. What's crazy about Plessinger is I, we like as a, as an amateur, I think we all thought he was going to be a woods racer. Like there was, there was a few years towards the end of his career where he wasn't coming to, I I feel like he wasn't coming to all the big races. He was doing a lot of stuff in the woods and I'm like, okay, he's going to be. Well, when he was T-boning me in the heat race that night, I was like, who is, okay, who is this guy? And I was like, oh, he's an amateur kid. He's good. But, I had heard he was like a Woods guy. So I was like, this guy's actually pretty good. I mean, if if Woods racing is his life, cool. But this guy could probably be pretty good at this. He might end up going and winning some championships. <laughs> and he did. But at that time, I didn't like him a lot because he was sparing me in every corner in the lights class. I'm yeah, like, dude, brutal. have some respect on the old boy. I'm just trying to survive. And I got these kids trying to get their license all getting violent. So, um, but so that year, yeah. But the credit on winning the Arena Cross Championship a lot of people are like, dude, you got a title. That's sick. In reality, dude, I clinched three rounds early. I may have been the only one on the West Coast that did all the rounds that year. It was not a, it, it was not a rewarding Do you title. have a number one plate in your house? I'll have the plate and the front number plate That's all you on need, the wall. Brother. I remind myself every day. Do you have that a tattoo of it? Don't I don't have us. that, but I do have some open spots. My wrist, I could put a one, a one dub on the wrist. But <clears throat> what, 
you know, it's it's really hard to climb to climb. It's easy if you're James Stewart or Ricky Carmichael to just grab a microphone and be the guy. Mm. But the fact that you didn't have all these accomplishments, championships, whatever, did, did you feel that it was more difficult to kind of get to where you wanted to go? Obviously, um, after the Arena Cross deal, you... I, I always felt a little guilty for being in a seat that I didn't think I should have been in as an analyst. Because when you're the analyst, you are, you're, it's about your credibility. And I'm sitting here, in reality... I made three 450 main events in, in my Supercross career. I did 250s. I did okay. I got top 10 in points one year. I, I, I've done some okay things. But in reality, I've made three 450 mains. And to be in the seat as the analyst, like the know-it-all guy, the guy who's supposed to educate, I always felt guilty about that because I didn't feel like I deserved... Not Imposter the, syndrome. A little bit. Big time. I was like, dude. And then the fact that I got it over some of these big championship name guys... I always felt like, in fact, I'm okay, I'm okay to admit it now, but back then I would never tell anybody that they auditioned because then people would be like, well, then why are you in there and not them? So I kept that quiet because I didn't want to be embarrassed by the fact it, that I got it somehow. Do you feel that, and this is obviously the only industry I really know in, in growing up in, but I think we have, we look at riders that aren't successful in a very condescending way as a sport, yeah. you know, as a sport. Uh, well, uh, like yeah, if you're, you yeah. know, it's like you classic the, you know, the couple years ago when people are like, why is Ken Roxon still racing? He's like third in points, you know, getting podiums and fit, because obviously people expect him to win. But I think in general, if you're not like one of those elite guys, it's, it's very condescending. So what I'm saying is I think that can have an effect on a lot of people's confidence and, in, yeah. in, in, you know, Maybe contribute uh, yeah. to the to that kind of inferiority complex that you had to overcome. Yeah, and and I did, but only the first year because I I did do a really good job the first year. Naturally, as an analyst, I I I, I analyze. I'm a I'm a coach. I like to teach, so it, it all fit and it worked, and I got pretty good pretty quick at it. So I did grow out of that after the first year because I would go to the races, and the, the racers would be like, "Dude, good job. The show was good last week." And th this is like the top 10 in points in the, in the two, in the, in the big class, they would be like, dude, good job last week that you're doing really good. Really? So a, a bunch of reassuring, um, positivity through performance, kind of proving it to yourself. And then, and then I would watch back and be like, you know, I, I'd pick apart the things I didn't like, but then I'd, I'd get done. I'd shut it off after an episode and I'd be like, I'm, I'm pretty good at this. Like I, I can talk like I'm a talker. Um, but I never really thought about anything. You know, the, the pay, the position didn't inspire me to think this was a career, did you um, like it? Loved it. Oh, I mean, love it. I calling. I mean, I love racing so much, and the fact of being able to call it, like the call, like from gate drop to checkered, is like I don't. I don't I'm the anything. same I don't way. Think there's anything man. better in the world. It's, I'm the same. Because if you love this, I mean, there's so many ways you can love it and be a part of. it. Sorry for everyone on video. I'm looking at Adams. Yeah, we have high point on the television. Giant TV screen. My God. This is. Um, we just moved into this house, and this was left here. So oh, I actually have an 85 inch in the. So in the living room, this is the one from the bachelor pad he was talking about. So big dogs in the other room. Yeah, where okay. where this is going to be? Okay. Oh, anyway, um, but I love it. I love calling, and I've never, I've, I've always loved that part of it. Obviously, the travel part is tough. I think any human that travel, some people love to travel. I, I and are you I always flying on Thursday or Wednesday for arena cross, supercross? 
Oh, Supercross, uh, it would depend on my role. Whenever I was in the booth, I'd fly Thursday because I wanted to be there earlier and kind of like settle down. But if I was doing all my other roles, I'd just roll in on Fridays. <clears throat> Let's get into that. How did how did you end up transitioning from, from Arena Cross to yeah, that, okay, so that was crazy. Um, do you ever remember Michael Prince? Did you ever meet Michael Prince? Yeah, uh, the name? Know, I think you, he, he was the TV producer Okay, w- when you did it the uh, first yeah. time, I think. Yeah. yeah, guy wearing Hawaiian shirts, Okay, tall guy, old guy. Vaguely, like, yeah. Again, influential, like unbelievable in more ways that I, I can't even explain how influential this guy's been on me. Um, but he called me. He was the head of TV at the time, so he was the one who made the final call on me doing Arena Cross and signed off on it. And um, he called me one day, and he would scare me, honestly. I mean, you know Prince. Like, when he calls, you look, I'm like, oh, no, what did I do? And the reason why is because he chewed me out so bad after the very first show I ever did. Um, I think I called Stank Dog, Stank Dog like three or four times, and he was like, if I ever hear that word out of your mouth again on television, you're done. No way. And then he also, and I said moto, too. Yeah, he looks good in this moto. I kept saying moto, moto, and those were the not allowed to say moto days. And he said, if I hear the word moto out of your mouth one more time, You'll never be on TV for me again. So, like, he scared me a lot, but I always respected him because he was, like, no bullshit guy, and he got things done. Right. So, I just, I, he scared me, but I respected him so much. But he calls me. I answer, what's up? He goes, hey, young man, what, um, what are your weekends looking like? Because this is now 2017. This is, I did Arena Cross in 15, 16, and then in 17, I'm about halfway through the series, and he's like, what are you doing on weekends? I said, just, I'm at home, whatever. He's like, not anymore. Uh, you're on race day live now. You're starting next weekend. So we'll get your flights. <laughs> really? That's how it happened. He didn't ask. That's cool. Though. He told me you're going on race day live in the host position. This is not the analyst. Straight That's Jim Hawley. Straight I'm to the, the show. Straight to hi, everybody. Welcome to race day live. Like I had never done anything when like Andy that. Andy left, right? Andy, Andy left, Boyer. Kind of Andy Boyer. Yeah. Um, so I pop up at Toronto 2017. Again, I feel like sometimes fate just helps you out here, but Uncle Jim Holly, Jim Holly's the analyst. I've known Jim since I was a little kid. I, he, he's Uncle. He's been Uncle Jim to me since I was like nine. Crazy. Like, I've known him forever. And I get there, and he's like, Daniel, I know you don't know what you're doing. I got you, bro. You just, let's just have a good time. And if you get in a pickle, you send it over to me, and I'll just tell whatever. I, you tell me, you tap me when you're ready. So, dude, the first year, it was like. So it was like the perfect oh, position to. Perfect person. The yeah. perfect person for me to land on in a spot that I was not ready for and would have flopped out so hard without him being like I got you it's, I got you it's really hard for me to believe that some of those things are by accident man I, it's just so many also with me so many things in my life have have worked out and you're like that way and you just like how exactly I give you there's just some magic examples. you know whatever you believe in like there's just some magic it's awesome. I, it, it is. It, it's magical because it's like the right people are there for you at the right time when you need them the most. Like I, Jim Hall, I had talked to Jim and I don't know how long. And then immediately I walk onto set and it's like uncle Jim, dude. And I love that guy so much, man. Like, and I did pulp on Monday night. Yeah. Jimbo sneaks in, dude. Steve set me up. He didn't let me know that Jim was coming. Jim no drove way. up. We started the show. He presses live. Jim comes walking in behind me and I'm like, like I've I haven't felt that warm of a heart in so long because I love Jim so much and now I got five hours just to rap with Jimbo totally like dude so so he so that happens and right away 2015 17 now so, oh so yeah okay so 17 and I'm doing Toronto. arena cross too still so gotcha I'm, so I'm flying to the Supercross still I fly 250 home. a show 
No, it might, it might have been three fifty. <laughs> I don't, I don't remember. But it was something. But it was not good. But again, at that point, it, it had nothing to do with that. But I was a little nervous of that because I hadn't been around Supercross in a while. Like twenty, right. I, my last race Supercross was twenty twelve, Houston Supercross. I made the four fifty main that night. I know this sounds ridiculous, but Stu crashed out that night I and I beat that. him. And I said, "That's it. I'm ending." No, it's I'm ending right there. I swear, I swear to you on sound, everything. That doesn't sound weird to me. No, I, I, I understand. You that. understand? I literally got done with that race, and I said, I don't think I'm going to be able to sneak into a main event ever again, and I just beat James Stewart, and I'm done. Now, he was sleeping half the race on the side of the track, <laughs> but that's... Well, you beat James Stewart. Don't, paper don't lie. That's all I'm saying. So, exactly. so I hadn't been at Supercross <laughs> in a dry. long time. I, yeah, it was on the AMA's website. So, yeah, take it or leave it. Uh, but anyways... Um, I hadn't been at Supercross since 2012, okay. and now it's 2017, and I'm getting thrown in to be the host of the show, the practice show. And so I, was ner- I wasn't I was nervous to go on set. Like, I was still the same, like, let's go, let's go. But I was nervous going the first race and, like, being around everybody because, like you said, I just kind of popped up, and all of a sudden now it's like, oh, yeah, that guy. What, wait, he's hosting Race Day Live now? So that was a little nerve-wracking. Yeah, I think you, the flight there was a little scary, but then do you feel good. Do you feel that the – how was the industry towards you early? Or do, I guess just the people you were around, the culture. How did, it, how did you feel you were received? I was distant. I didn't socialize much. Um, I knew who I knew that was there, and I would, I would hang tight with them. So I was a little in my shell, I'd say. I wasn't like walking. Like, you know how I am now with you. I'll walk up to you right yeah. now with a mic and just say some shit to you. Like, totally. Those days, I wouldn't even come and talk to you. I, was, I didn't feel like I belonged there a little bit. I felt like I don't, like what am I doing I think we here? all have that sometimes too. I mean, at first, at first you, you go in like, am I really welcome here? Like, are they going to yeah. think I'm stupid for being yeah. here and whatever? But it went really well, like really fast. And that goes back, I guess, to how just I'm wired. But I take things serious. If, if I, I'm pretty black and white. There's no gray. If I'm into something, I'm all in. If I'm not, I'm all out. That's just how I am. And I was all in. Like, I good cared. Way to be. And I, was, I, I think my care in the beginning came out of fear of sucking and being embarrassed. I did not want people to make fun of me. And then, so my effort was it's not It's interesting like, how the, the, where the motivation comes from can change, you know, kind of uh, as you... I was, not, I was not there trying to kill it to be great. I was trying to kill it so that people wouldn't make fun of me. Yeah, like, please, I cannot, I cannot screw this up, yeah, man. Don't mess up. Didn't you go, on, you were on the actual broadcast that first year too, right? In 2017, Salt that, Lake? That leads to a, a lot of things that we might tap into here. But 2017, I'm in Indy. I'm in the breakfast at the hotel. Michael Prince and Bondo are eating breakfast. And they give me the old, come on over here. Like, come over here real quick. And again, me being me, I'm like, oh, I'm in trouble. What did I do? I screwed up. Like, what did I do? I uh, said moto too many times again. Yeah, I did. I must have said stank dog again on race day live or something. Anyways, um, they're like, hey, you're doing good. What do you think about um, trying on the trying the floor? Like, you know, Ricky, because Ricky was doing a couple here and there. He was kind of mm. like popping in and out. Yeah. He had like a contract with Feld where he was doing arena cross, road to supercross. He'd be there to promote. He would do a couple floor here. He'd go in the booth sometime. He was just multi-use at the time. They're like, you know what Ricky does sometimes? You want... You want to try that? And I was like, yeah, okay. And that one he didn't tell me. He asked if I want. I think that was a big move, and I don't think he was just going to make me do it. He wanted to do it. And I said, yeah, I'd, yeah, I'd really, yeah, okay. I'd, I'd like to do that. And um, so I did. It was 2017. I don't know if you remember the night. Um, I do because I tore my ACL in practice. I raced. I got fifth. Oh, yeah, good memory. All right. Do you remember, Tom- remember, do you remember Tomac that night having like a psycho from like last to first, ran Dungey yeah, down. Yeah, it was one him. of those tracks. 
he had a night. So it was that night. And I remember, man, I'm standing in the first turn and we're going live. Daniel coming to you in 10, 9, 8. Seven. And I went live and did my very first report in the first corner at Salt Lake City. And I did just one. It was just this one. This is Salt Lake. Salt Lake okay. 2017. And um, it was Ooh, That track it was, was terrible, awesome. man. It was, it was very terrible. Yeah. Well. Whoops. Right. Whoops. Left. Yeah. Finish line. Right. Double into a sand section. Left. Supercross triple. Wall onto the start straight. Um, really? That was an yeah. that was an insane title fight year too between Dungeon. Oh, that know. was that was the uh, the Eli was coming and chasing him down. The weekend after that, he threw it away. In and you know, and, you know, it's, yeah, he did. And you know what's funny too is that <clears throat> I remember watching back that night, even a couple of years ago, and I did a you know how we give a, an in race hit like you know, I, hey Bondo, I got something, I got something, and then you know they'll come down to you, Adam, what do you got, Daniel, what do you got? I remember one of my on track hits that night. I think is still to this day the best hit I've ever done in a race. And it was about Tomac. And I said, what we are seeing in this race, a rider out front who is being careful and a rider coming through the pack with no regards. This is exactly what the last two months of this championship has been. Dungey's protecting and Eli's coming and we're watching it happen right now. It was very, very good. It was, it was, there was like, uh, it was angles and layers to what I said. And I look back on that night, it might still be one of the best hits I ever had doing this. And that was enough to inspire them and me to get in a conversation. And then the next year they came back and said, you're going to do arena cross. You're going to do race day live. And you're going to do 10 on the floor. Ricky's doing seven. You're doing 10. You guys are going to split it. You want the job. And I was like, yep, this is turning into not a career, but like, I'm starting to stack cash. I think I'm up to a grand now, a show. I think we're, we're getting somewhere here, and I'm getting on the big TV. I'm getting good response from the industry. Like, you know, a mechanic or a team manager would be like, good show, good show. Like, so all of a sudden, yeah. it started feeling... started to feel like you belong. I did. And, I, and, and from there, I got more comfortable with everybody and really probably took the next level in my performances, too, because the whole time I was doing it, there was always a fear of, a little fear of failure, which right. I struggled with my whole life. Fear of failure has been like, my life and I finally got past that to where I never thought I was going to fail again now it was like how good can I be I'm not trying to not suck like how can I be really good at this so I think that was a turning point where I started caring more the right way I'd say like like preparing and caring correctly where before it was all based on not getting just smashed somehow, yeah you know I hear you on the fear fear of failure thing especially like for me growing up being good so young, it was like I was always on that defense mode. Like, I can't lose this, man. I it wasn't, can't. it wasn't, I want to win. It was, I can't lose. Yeah. Right? It, it became that really quickly. But why, I, when, why though for you? Was it because of the result or it was because of how you would feel? Was it the money? Was it the trophy? Like, why did, why for you? We talked about this a little bit, but like, what, what, um, what was that drive to not lose? Like, what was, you know, I didn't want to, I didn't want to let my dad down. Really? That's it, man. Can I tell you something that just happened to me? And it, it was one of the weirdest moments. It happened to me last Saturday night with my son. And it, it literally, I, I'm still shook by what he said. He raced his first moto, um, brand new track against kids he'd never seen. Because we're new out there, right? And he, my son thinks he's going to win every moto. He's on the gate with her. I mean, he, if you don't know who you are, then he's going to beat you. That's just, he's, it's like a na he's naive a little bit. He ended up losing this kid by 11 seconds. And he came off like all pissed off. And I was like, no, 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 no. You rode really good. That kid's fast. He's really good. I said, dude, next moto, let's get it down to 10. Yeah. He beat you by 10 seconds. Yeah. That's, that's how we, you want to win? Get it to 10. Yeah. 
okay, okay, okay. So I strategized with him and I said, all right, if you whole shot this kid, block him for a while, you're going to hold up his ability to get away. That might get you a second or two. Okay, okay. He whole shots this kid, blocks him for half a lap, gets it down to nine. And we're like, yeah, he comes back and I'm, because I need him to know, like when I have a request that's achievable and you get it, I want you to know, hell yes. Right. But then I have this motto and I even do it with KTM to my kids. I have a 15 minute thing. You have 15 minutes to either celebrate or to be depressed. And then you need to get the hell over both and get back to the gate for the next one. Keep it moving. Emotionless. Get over it. If you win, good job. 15 minutes, done. Back to the gate. So 15 minutes goes by. Good job. Yeah, I said, all right, stop. Now we're going for eight. We're going for eight. And he's like, okay, okay, okay. His next moto, he whole shot. He led the kid to the last lap, three corners from the end. The kid bonsai'd by him and beat him by one second. And I didn't know what, like, what that, whatever. He comes off. That's what a, happened? That's a substantial uh, It was psychotic. Jump. And you know what he said? I said, why? I said, what? What did you do? I'm, not, I'm not like asking, like, what did you do? And he rode so good. It was, I mean, he didn't even crack. The kid passed him. He passed him doing bonsai stuff, but yeah. Evan held his own. He didn't do it. He, he was really good. So it was, a, it was a total win. And he comes off and he goes, honestly, Dad, I was just on the gate and I was thinking, I just wanted to shock you. And it, it gave me this weird. Man, that's cool. Chills. That's cool. Chills. And, I, and I, I just like hugged him and I just squeezed him and I, and I was like, what the hell, man? Like, I, didn't, I still don't even know exactly what to respond to that because you're on the gate and you're thinking, what can I do to shock my dad? And I mean, I don't want to get into my childhood. That's not the time, it's not the time for that. But I have, I have some childhood things that still, I think, affect me a lot to this day. And I just looking at him and I couldn't believe that he wanted to do that for me and went out and pulled off what I would say was maybe the best five laps I've ever seen out of this kid. And for him to come back and be so excited to tell me, Dad, I just wanted to shock you. And I, so when you say that, That's I'm, what like, it's all about. I'm like, dude, what the hell? And I still, I don't even get it. I don't even know what to think. Um, but he did exactly what I thought he would do is he went in the next moto and he fell in the first turn and got smoked. So <laughs> it all equaled out. Right, we, had one, yeah, yeah, we, we had, had one. But we had moto three. We had moto three. Um, but yeah, so I, that just happened. So back to your point though, on the fear of failure thing, my feel, fear, fear of failure was always my own realization. I didn't want to get beat by somebody trying my very hardest. Cause then I would have to accept the fact that I got beat by them. So I would subconsciously self-sabotage myself so much because then I had a reason why it happened. And I hate that I'm like that. I still I have those tendencies, that. but I, I had those I my so whole understand life. That. And it's like, it's this weird pride thing like a very internal pride thing but i don't I, I i still don't understand that all the way but i know i got that because it's haunted me forever man so yeah i uh what back to that point fear of failure i think from what i've learned so far in my life i think what that's helped me get over that i'm, I'm genuinely sitting here today i'm not scared to fail and it's oh, it's not, not a it's not a it's not you know, I'm not trying to sound like I'm self-righteous or, you know, like I'm this big, um, you know, but assert myself above anything. It's just my life experience and how it's led me. But I've failed. I've tried and failed and tried and failed enough times to where I know the sun is going to rise the next day, no matter what. And <clears throat> nobody cares more than me about it. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you kind of sometimes I think you can, you can put all these I guess fake consequences, I call it. Like mm-hmm. you feel like the world's going to be looking down on you, you know, and, and nobody cares. It's like when you, you know, it's like when you're getting dressed to, to go out at night, it's, 
you know, and you're trying different stuff on and like, you know, asking your, asking your girl, if you look okay, you're going to go out and everybody's just, everybody just wants to know how they look. They're not really even paying attention. <laughs> You know, so you're I think so concerned with what you're wearing, and then you won't even look at what anyone else is wearing and care. And you're like, wait a minute. Yeah, I'm like, are they caring about what I? Exactly. Our, you know, so, our, our brains are, dude. We're we're just like super just, smart monkeys at the end of the day, man. Like we're 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 silly as humans. So <laughs> I'm I just not surprised. Yeah, I just wanted to get to that place mentally, so I could go after the things that I want to go after, and I don't always I don't always have to get it right. Like I don't have you know people. When I was 10, 11 years old, an article came out like James Stewart, Ricky Carmichael, Adam Cianciarillo, question mark, you know, and it's like that weighed on me for so, for so long, feel, feeling like if I'm not there, that's going to be a failure for me, you know, and that's, and that's part of that like defensive mentality. Mm-hmm. And I, I've, I've found kind of fulfillment and just sustained and re, sustained effort and renewed focus on doing the things I can and you know, I've been able to grow and, and, and kind of get over that fear, through which is experience, through personal experience too. not someone telling you, right. People can tell you all they want to tell. Oh you. man. You, I am you so tell stubborn. I am so yep. stubborn. I had to learn so many things the hard way. Mm-hmm. And I, yeah, if it wasn't for this sport and it, because I care about it so much, I wouldn't have been able to, you know, I, I promise you the things that I've learned the last three years, it would have taken me until I'm 50 years old to, to figure this stuff out. And it's hey, this sport will teach you a lot quick. <laughs> you turn 30 and you're like, damn, I've lived like three lives already, man. For real. That's what this sport feels like. So. Well, we're going to have to do this again. Yeah, dude, we're, we'll do a We'll do a, uh, a, a 2.0 at some point. Yeah. Um, I feel like we're just getting started. I, I could sit here and talk to you for four hours. Oh, we, so. could, we could, we could, we could definitely do it, but I'll, I'll end, I'll end the story of the TV by yeah. going like this. 2017 was amazing. Um, for the opportunities that came, tw- okay, now I got my years right. So 2018, I got 10 on the floor yep. um, and race day live. And it really started becoming like, like I said, it started be feeling real, but it, it wasn't real yet. And then when they made the switch out from Fox to NBC, a bunch of things changed. And I remember I went to Florida um, to Feld. It was me, Ralph. I bet Will for the first time. Ricky was now the analyst full time. It was the new four. And they brought in coach Tony, I think as like, let's glue this new piece this, try to right. glue this thing together. It's, it's new people. Because like you said, it's the chemistry. It's got to go it, all the way around. A, it's a chemistry. Like, like let's, and he's brand new to us. He's brand new to the sport. Um, I actually got in a car accident. Oh, my gosh. I just realized you were. It was me, you, and, and, and Andy and Boyer. Boyer. Okay, so I got on the way. I flew in. All you guys, car crash. No, no, no just, just me, oh, dude. We, so we I, took him to the hospital. Dude, so uh-huh. I was in an Uber going from the airport to Feld or going to the hotel. We were going to go to a big dinner that night. Yeah. And I got in a bad Uber crash on the freeway. I mean, bad enough to where, I mean, I had a lawsuit. And I mean, it was like a big The deal. driver was being stupid? Not my driver. We got, we got wrecked. Someone hit us. I mean, we stopped in traffic and someone came in wide open, just rear end us Dude. and jacked me. Got a concussion, jacked my neck up, whatever. I'm trying not to cause a lot of attention on myself there. So I just kind of like got in another Uber, got to my hotel and I was so hungry and I'm just kind of delirious. I end up walking next door to the hotel to get food. Shane and Andy Boyer are in there. And within like what a minute or two of talking, they're like, bro, are you okay? I'm like, I'm fine. I'm fine. They're like, no, you're not. I said, well, kind of got in a car accident a few minutes ago. I'm, but I'm fine. They're like, no, you're not. So they ended up taking me to the, uh, hospital and I had to go in and do like wow. a, a, an eye check. And dude, they were like, you're rocked, bro. Like I couldn't see, I couldn't even see any letters. I mean, 
I'm glad you guys took me because it ended up, yeah. you know, being a bigger deal than I wanted to make well, it. An- another thing right there, like you walked, you saw Shane, I couldn't even Andy. Was that an Applebee's or what was that? Chili's or something? Uh, Love Chili's, Applebee's. Chili's, yeah. Chili's great them, establishment. Yeah, them Anyways, so the next day we go to Fell to meet everybody and we do a one-on-one session with Coach Tony and I get in the room and I'm like, what's up? And within five minutes he goes, I've watched your tape and um, you're really good at this. You need to uh, You need to pivot. You need to move out of the analyst lane. I was like, why? And he's like, well, because if you want to do this for a living, which I hadn't thought about that yet, he's like, you need to realize that if you are an analyst, you're an analyst in the sport that you know. And you're and, locked. And you, there's only one more position for you to go here, and that's up, and that's the greatest of all time in that seat. So you're done unless you want to learn the other role, and then you can do anything. And I, at first, was like, hell no. That, that guy has so much responsibility. I already can't stand race day live. I, it's, it's still hard for me. I don't like that. No way, no way, no way. And he was like, no, you're going to pivot. And he said, I want you to right now get to work and start studying broadcasting. I want you to study the play-by-play, analyst, pit report. I want you to study every role that exists, every producer. And I want you to take all that, and we're going to do something with this. And that was the moment. And here I went, you are. I went, all right, all right, I'm going for it. I'm going all in. And I went Took a lot of work. All in. Right there. That was, that was the day. So, Man. How, where are you at now? How how we feeling about I'm at, everything? I'm at Adam's house, man. Having a good time. I like that. I'm at Adam's house. I having like a good that. time. Hanging with Shane. I like that. Shane. Uh, and just, um, I, I'm in a... Doing the Orange Brigade thing right now. Orange Brigade. Um, I'm becoming a part owner at Next Level 101, which is a track in South Carolina. Eddie Ray and Jessica Patterson. Own. Okay. So yep. I'm becoming a partner with them. Awesome. Um, KTM job is extremely awesome. Um, I do have some TV opportunities in stick and ball. Um, I did some lacrosse this year. I actually yep. went and did some ESPN lacrosse. Uh, during the weeks, I was kind of scooting over and doing some stuff. Low key. So cool. I didn't want anyone to know because so if it was cool. bad. You you told me and I, I was... Well, you I know. Got, there's a couple of homies that I know that I could tell you and, I, and you're not going to find it. Number one, I didn't think you could find it. Someone did. I'm not going to tell you. Someone in the TV crew found the performances. Really? Yeah, I'll never say. I even though they actually they've worked out because it's opened up a couple offers in Division One college sports. That's awesome. So, um, the crazy part is though is I I don't think I'm going to do it. I don't. I'm leaning towards not doing it for reasons I don't want to get into right okay. now. Like I said, there's yeah. a, there's a, I'm, I'm actually I feel like I'm going through a massive transformation period in my life. Sold my business, moved across the country. TV stuff's coming to a close here. I don't, I don't know even who I am all the way right now. I know the things I like and do what we I'm ever, doing. Man. No, we don't. Do we, we don't. ever? We, well, you think you do, and that's the problem. Is with yeah. You think you things got figured out? For that's real. when the backhand smacks you across the face. Yeah. So, um, well, man, it's I'm, been yeah. it's been awesome to see you, dude. Kind of, it's awesome, and I'm glad you're doing this too, by the way, because I've always loved as an interviewer. I, when you interview people, you gravitate towards the people that communicate great back, and I've always loved interviewing you, except for once. Except for oh once. yeah, there was one no Vegas. Yep, Vegas. Oh my god, that's, that's another. Po- I think that's a whole. We'll save that podcast. for part two. But dude, that was the one time in my life where I was terrified of my job. Is when Bondo said, "Go to Adam," and I said, "Nope, nope." I, it's funny because that that moment for me. Well, and we won't get into it. We got to go yeah. here. I'm going furniture shopping, but yeah, um, that moment for me is such a defining moment in a good way. We were just talking about that too you know, last night. Yeah, and it it's you know it was a really I'll, bad moment at the time, but I look back on it and I I genuinely smile. So I'm well, glad. Well, and, I did. I, and I'll, my final note to you is, I've always liked you. Just you're 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 cool. You're a nice guy. You're always and I've always respected you. I respect everybody. 
But that moment and the way you handled that and the way Nick Way handled that, because he was a part of making you stand up. Oh, 100%. He told you, get your ass up. Yes, do this he did. Interview. The way you handled yeah, that Yeah, if it wasn't for Nick, I wouldn't have done that. Oh, I, probably not. And I told Nick, I pointed at the mic, and he's like, Adam, get up. He said, you, Nick told me, you need to man up and do it. I, like, I couldn't believe that. And, and I, you did. And your interview and what you said, I'm not kidding, was one of the most inspirational things that I have ever seen and got to be a part of because you were so unbelievably authentic and pure and awesome. And then the fact that you went and won that outdoor title, I was just, that, that dude, you're a, you're a savage. And I want you to know my scariest Thank moment you. ever was because of you. And it's, it's why my respect for you has gone from 10 to 20. Because of that moment. So. Well, it's the feelings mutual, my friend. Appreciate. So it. thank you. Right. Yeah, thank you for joining us. We're we're definitely gonna need a part two, at some point. Luckily, this is, seems this is a mobile setup. We can do this pretty much anywhere. Do come to um, your house. But yeah, come thanks. to South Carolina, bro. Welcome. Anytime. Oh, I'd love to. <laughs> but yeah, thanks for thanks for coming on and, and being a part of this, and and we'll see you again soon. And awesome, everybody. Thank you for listening. This is episode. What is this? Four or five? Four. Four. Okay, so episode four. Just so you know, when you get to like 30, 40, you won't even, you won't, yeah, episode, you won't even remember. So Welcome back to episode 342. <laughs> You'll but forget someday. Anyway, thank you guys for listening, and we'll see you next time.